The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 139. Oh my God, my legs are sore. So sore. I still, my, my quads are screaming right now. I'm surprised they're not picking up on the mic. They're screaming so loud. So for those of you who are diehards of this podcast, who have been listening for months, perhaps even years You know that I'm in the midst of a New Year's resolution. Back on last January, uh, first episode of the podcast of the new year, I made a New Year's resolution that I was going to train and run for the Miami Marathon. That's coming up on January 27th, 2019. So I made that announcement a year ago. And I'm sure many of you thought that... I was going to give up by now. I certainly thought I was going to give up by now, so a little weird that I'm still hanging in there, but I am still hanging in there. I am still in the midst of the marathon training, and I've stuck with it. This is probably the longest I've ever stuck with a New Year's resolution in my life, and part of the reason why I'm still with it is because of you guys, because for some reason, you guys have this weird obsession to make sure that I continue with this marathon, and I'm still getting... Uh, Twitter messages and tweets at me saying, hey, how's the marathon training going? People are emailing me, breakthebusiness at gmail.com saying, hey, how's that marathon training coming along? And I can't help but think that many of the tweets and emails you guys are writing, you're coming at it from sort of like a snickering perspective. Like you're not genuinely asking me how the marathon training is going. You're sort of asking it like... (laughs) How's that marathon training going? As if I've given up already and you just want to kind of dunk on me for it, but I haven't given up. I'm still in it, and the reason why my legs are screaming right now is because I did a 10-mile run yesterday, continuing with my marathon training, and I, oh my god, it's the worst. Like, it hasn't been lost on me that the marathon is, you know, historically was named after, was all about like the first guy who ran one you know, back in like ancient Greek times, like ran the 26 miles and then died. And so the guy ran the first guy to ever run the marathon died. And for some reason we all thought, Hey, let's make a sport out of that. That makes sense. But, um, I'm still at it. Anyway, that long story short, um, I've been keeping up with my training schedule consistently. Thanks to you guys keeping me honest. And so I very much appreciate that. And look, this is a big commitment for me. Anybody who knows me knows I am not an athlete. I am not a physically fit person by any means. I was perpetually picked last for every athletic endeavor I've ever had in my life. And I ran a half marathon very poorly like five years ago. Since then, my body has sort of just become gelatinous. I've I've sort of let myself go since those days where I was even mildly approaching even mediocre athleticism. So I have to I've had to work my way back up to something resembling appropriate physical condition. I've actually gotten, I mean, I'm still, I'm still very doughy, but I'm, I'm much less doughy than I was when I started this training. So I'm grateful that I've stuck with this only because it's helped get me into better shape. And I really want to get to this. I really want to finish this marathon. And I know if I can run this successfully and actually make it through the 26 miles without dying, I'm not going to run any kind of good time. Okay. Like I'm not going to break any world records. I'm going to be finishing with all the geriatrics, 
but I just want to finish the marathon. I need to finish it before they close the marathon, you know, for however long they keep the marathon open that day. And if I can do that, that's good enough for me. And and look, if, if this this podcast is all about achieving goals, whether it's what you guys are trying to do as musicians and moving your careers forward or what I'm trying to do, trying to make myself healthier, let's all celebrate each other, support each other so that we can all achieve our goals together. Uh, let's see what else is going on this week. It's otherwise been a good week for me. I had the opportunity on Wednesday of last week to present an online webinar for my law CLE. I actually got to deliver one of these online sessions that other lawyers watched on breaking into entertainment law. I actually did the webinar with friend of the podcast, Ilana Broad. I know we all love her. So that we, we did this uh, panel together with another colleague of ours, Polina Ivko. Uh, the three of us uh, did a nice panel. It was so great. And I said this last time I got to sit on a panel for uh, a lawyer function, and I'm going to say it again. I'm only getting these opportunities because of you guys, because you guys are supporting this podcast. So to the extent that I have any kind of notoriety, it's, hey, it's, he's the guy who has this entertainment law podcast, and that gives me opportunities like this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a blast doing this panel, and I wouldn't have been able to do it if it weren't for you. So mwah. Thank you so much. Our guest this week, Chris Brereton. So excited to talk to this guy. He is the president and CPO of Thematic. This is an online platform that connects video creators to musicians like you. It creates a publishing and licensing clearinghouse to allow video creators to license your music for their video. So it connects you to video, YouTube video people, so you can get your music on their videos. We're going to talk to him about just getting some tips about how to find licensing opportunities for your music in YouTube videos. And we're all, of course, going to talk to him about the thematic platform as well, because this could prove to be a valuable resource for you as artists to find more licensing opportunities to, for your music, to you know boost your following. Uh, we're, we're big on this podcast, on having artists like you, musicians, collaborating with people who make videos. When you guys collaborate together, when you lend your music to YouTube video creators, magical things happen. It is a beautiful synergy. The YouTube creator gets more following. You as the artist get more following because you're cross-pollinating fan bases. It's very much a good thing to do. And we're going to talk to Chris about how to do it. But before we bring him in, I had a listener question this week that intrigued me. And it was kind of a, it was sort of a opportune email, if you will. It was, the timing of it was impressive <laughs> uh, because it actually meshed very well with an article I read earlier this week uh, about a similar topic, and I found a way to kind of blend them together. And so I figured that'd be a nice thing for us to talk about before we bring in Chris Brayard in from Thematic. The listener question was, can you talk about increasing social media following? Can we get some tips on increasing followers, likes, etc.? Great question. Uh, and I can certainly appreciate where this question is coming from. Very much so, because all you guys, you all want to grow your social media following. Every person I'm listening to within the sound of my voice would love to have more Facebook engagement, more Twitter engagement, more Instagram engagement. I know that's a big part of what it means to be a musician in this new music industry, so I definitely understand where this question's coming from. And to the listener's question, there are certainly some general things that you can do to be more effective on social media to gain following. We've talked to social media experts on this podcast who've thrown out some pretty useful tips that uh, even the most seasoned social media professionals, as many of you might be, could still benefit from hearing. And we'll just talk about a couple of these real quick. Um, more posts with photos. Photos 
with your posts. Always allow your posts to get more engagement. People like to see things that are visual. Um, people like to see candid photos of you just out in your world, just showing you know you just being a human being. People like that kind of stuff. I love tweeting pictures with my dog. My dog gets so much more engagement on social media than I do. If you have a pet, exploit that pet. Seriously. Um, shine the light on others with your posts. There is such a temptation on your own social media profile to talk about yourself, to talk about the projects you're doing. Here's me in the studio. Here's me hanging out with my friends. Here's me performing before a concert. And because it's your social media platform, so why shouldn't you promote you? And you should, but every social media expert will tell you you need to reserve some of your social media posts to shine the light on others. Talk about things that other people are doing. People, you know, if somebody put out a great song, show people that song. If people are doing cool stuff, let your followers know about it because it cultivates relationships with other professionals and it makes you look like more of a human being, which is always good when it when trying to cultivate a social media presence because when you talk about you all the time on social media, me, 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 it makes you look like an egomaniac and people don't want to follow an egomaniac. So shine the light on others that can get you more followers. Do great work. Do stuff that's worthy of posting. You know, if you one of the biggest problems that artists have when they say I have nothing to post, it's because you're not doing anything. You know, run a music career, really put effort into you know being the best artist you can be. Constantly put out new content, constantly work with others. The more that you can actually do stuff as a musician, the more stuff you'll have to post. The more stuff you have to post that's interesting, the more followers you're going to get. Don't spam. You want more followers? Don't spam. I, we all do this. You ever, I mean, you're, you're looking through Twitter and I know that we all do this where if you look through your timeline and there's just somebody who every time you open Twitter, they're just spamming your timeline. We're just filling your timeline with garbage. Buy my album, buy my album, buy my album, you know, repeating the same posts over and over, you know, just talking about, you know, retweet, retweet. And like, they're not actually saying anything interesting. They're just, you know, using their social media as just a commercial for themselves. And they just post incessantly about that stuff. If you do that, when you see that on your timeline, what do you do? Usually unfollow that person. Usually mute that person. Be a human being on social media. Human beings actually interact. They post new things. They don't spam all the time. They don't try to sell with every single tweet. If you do that, you're never going to get more followers and you're probably going to lose the ones you have. And finally, as we talked about on some of these other points, be a real human being. Talk to people. We talked about this last week, how music fans more than ever have a really good bullshit detector. They they really, really can understand when somebody's not being authentic. And if they feel like the Twitter account that they're following is basically just a bot even if it's not really a bot, but if it's behaving like a bot and it's just shooting out spammed messages and it's not acting like a real human being, they're not going to want to engage with that on Twitter. They're not going to follow that on Twitter and you're not going to get new followers. Be a human being. Talk to people on Twitter. Start conversations. Show people your life beyond just what you are as an artist. People want to get to know you. They want to see something authentic. Their thirst for authenticity in the people they follow is unquenchable. Give them that and you'll get more uh, get more support, get more followers. But that being said, question asker, I can certainly understand why you want to grow your social media presence. And so I, I did want to answer your question, but I also want to take some time to talk about why the question you're asking is maybe not fully what you really want. Because 
you have to think beyond just getting more followers when it comes to social media. I don't want you or any of us when it comes to social media to lose sight of something that is equally, if not more important when it comes to being effective on social media. And that's not just growing your presence, but making the most of the following that you already have. We can get so obsessed in this industry with growth for the sake of growth, getting those followers up, getting the most likes, getting the most retweets, comparing our following to other artists who are in our you know, kind of sphere and saying, I have more than this guy, I have less than this girl. Growing your following is important. I'm not trying to discount that. But it is absolutely critical for you to take stock in the following that you already have. You need to cultivate that following. You need to make your existing followers feel appreciated. Don't focus too much on growing the quantity of your following. Focus on growing the quality of your following. This is so, so important. Friend of the podcast, Suzanne Polinsky, we love her. Uh, she's known as the rock star advocate. We've had her on the podcast a few times. She always has great advice. And she actually wrote about this topic in an article last week in the TuneCore blog, which is why I said earlier that this question I got from a listener, super fortuitous because Suzanne Polinsky came right in with this great article that discussed what we were just talking about, about growing the quality of your following and not just the quantity. Uh, the TuneCore article was entitled, The One Place Where Your Focus Should Always Be. And in the article, Polinsky writes about the dangers of focusing too much on the fans that you don't have rather than the ones that you do. And I quote, If you get so caught up in chasing numbers rather than engaging with the people currently trying to engage with you, you will never reach your goal of building a loyal, energetic, supportive following. Numbers don't buy tickets to shows people do. Polinsky goes on to write, while it is important to set new goals, look ahead and continue to grow. It is also crucial not to treat your fans as merely numbers that only matter once there are, quote, enough of them. Believe it or not, you have enough now. Enough to start connecting on a deeper level. Enough to start creating interesting ways to thank them for their support. And enough to celebrate the community that's being built around your talent and message. Basically what Polinsky is trying to tell us, the lesson she's trying to convey here, is to spend a lot of your time on social media investing in your existing fans. To turn those existing fans into super fans. The kind of fans that contribute to your crowdfunding campaigns. The kind of fans that become patrons on your Patreon. The kind of fans that don't just stream your album at fractions of a cent per stream, but actually engage with you, get your merchandise, and promote you to others. Being one of those those super fans, the member of your tribe, the one of your thousand fans that give you $100 a year so you can actually build a real music following. And for those of you who are still consistent with, still obsessed with growing your following, who still care so much about the quantity of your fans... You should acknowledge what Polinsky also says in the article. What she notes is that by interacting more with your existing fan base, you will, interestingly enough, get more fans. Quoting from the article, When you post online and show love to your current fan base, no matter the size, others will be watching. 
Many will become fans simply by admiring how well you treat the ones you already have. Lead with gratitude and service, and you will send a message to your new fans that your community is the place to be, without the need for hard sells and repeated promos. So, what's the lesson? You want to get more followers? As the question asker wanted to get, treat the followers you have well. Treat the followers you already have well and more will come. And before you say to me, but Ryan, I already do that. I'm already engaging with my existing followers. Think about that. Are you really? Are you really engaging with them as much as you can? Could you be doing more? Are you DMing your followers and learning about what they have going on in their life? Are you messaging your fans on Facebook when they're online? Are you reaching out to people even when you don't need them? Because a lot of us, we DM our fans, but it's only if we need a favor. Hey, I'm going to DM my fans because I'm coming to tour in a certain town. I know I have a fan who lives in that town. I want them to get the word out. But are you reaching out to them when you don't need something? Showing these people, hey, I'm your friend and not just when I'm a friend in need. Because that's the kind of engagement that builds fans into super fans. In the article, Polinsky also talks about picking five to ten of your fans right now who are already engaging your content and making more of an effort this week to start engaging with them. That might be a good start uh, for moving things forward with your fan base. So that might be a good thing for all of us to do in the music world. Let's heed Polinsky's advice. Let's go find five to ten of our fans right now and invest in cultivating a deeper relationship with them right now so we can turn them into super fans. All right. Chris Brereton coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. He is the president and CPO of Thematic, an online peer-to-peer marketplace that connects video creators to music artists to help the former license music from the latter. Thematic debuted at VidCon last month with prominent YouTuber Peter Hollins calling it a game-changer for creators. You can find out more about Thematic by visiting www.hellothematic.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Brereton is on the Break the Business podcast. Hey, Chris, thank you for being on. Hey Ryan, thanks for having me. I feel like we need to have like a clap track in the background after that intro. Oh wait, um, you actually can't hear it, uh, but there totally is one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, they are they are raucous. Um, they are they are big big Brereton fans. Um, that was a big intro, man. Thanks. <laughs> well, I, I said it just the way you typed it up for me. I'm just kidding, people. <laughs> I I totally no not you know would never never uh, do that now. Um, all, all my words, just fondness for you because I'm, I'm down with anybody who is familiar with the YouTube world, who is in that world, because I find it utterly fascinating. I work with indie musicians mostly, but I, from afar, am a huge admirer of the things that indie video creators are doing. I just, you know, I'm a YouTube addict. It's my primary form of video consumption now. Like my TV's collecting dust at this point. And nice. so I'm I'm excited to talk to anybody who's in that world and is serving the people in that world. But I want to ask you something from your world through the music perspective. So as somebody who is in that world and is loving every minute of it, of it as it sounds, why is music so important for video creators? And why is it hard for you creators to get music for your projects? Well, let, let's, uh, let's break that one up into two. So first things first... Uh, the music options for a creator at the moment are things like Groovy Beat 66, as we like to refer to it. Uh, there's just tons of stock music that doesn't have any good feeling or help you tell your story. So 
Uh, we think music's important to sort of be the soundtrack to everything that you're creating. And uh, it can really help sort of carry the story arc. You know, if you watched a movie in the theater or uh, through Netflix, maybe for you cord cutters, um, it would be a lot less interesting with just stock boring audio behind it. Uh, the second part of why is it so hard is uh, we're still dealing with like, sort of an old school uh, business ecosystem where labels and publishers don't necessarily get along and licensing and rights and royalties and payments and splits and all that stuff creates a tremendous amount of complexity. And as both the artist and the uh, YouTube content creators trying to navigate that space uh, alone and as an individual, it's just sort of too much work to even make it worth it. So then people default to Groovy Beat 66 out of fear or um, unknowing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, from where I'm sitting on the legal side, when I work with YouTube creators, the two the two big hurdles, like the you know these these horrifying kind of legal hurdles that make artists like you gravitate toward Groovy Beat 66 is that <laughs> one when you're talking about video uh, you need a synchronization license you need a master use license which means you don't get to use any of those compulsory mechanical licenses like you would if you're just going to make a cover of a song so that's that's difficulty one there's no compulsory right to it so you have to go out and negotiate it and then yep. two you're talking about two different licenses because you got to get the musical composition and you got to get the master and already when you're just talking about all of that stuff, when you're just some, you know, person in their bedroom making YouTube videos about makeup tips and things like that, and now you got to do all these different licenses, that can be a huge hassle. So I definitely sympathize. Um, we've right. spoken on this podcast a lot about the value for artists in trying to find opportunities to collaborate with video creators, because even though the licensing can be tricky, it can be a really positive and lucrative relationship for everybody involved. Uh, I've had musician guests on this podcast that have talked about how they would lend one of their songs to a YouTube creator who did like makeup tip videos or something. And then that collaboration was good for both people because the musician got exposed to a new audience and got a bunch of new followers and the makeup artist got to, you know, introduce themselves to the fans of the musician and everybody won. And so a lot of artists want to get into these videos. They want to find these opportunities, but many musicians just don't know where to go. So if I'm a musician and I want to find my way into this world, if I want to build some of these connections with YouTube creators, what are some of the best ways to build these collaboration opportunities? How do musicians even begin to find these people? Sure, sure. So the, the current landscape is uh, you can browse around YouTube, try and find somebody that you think uh, is representative of your band or music's brand. Uh, hope that they have some sort of business email address in their contacts. Uh, send a blind email saying, hey, please use my music in your video and hope that you get a response. Um, the other option is you can use tools like uh, Creator Network or Creator Aggregators. Um, there's one I heard about just recently called Captivate that's making their list of creators free to browse. Um, and those are things where you can sort of sift and sort uh, but many of those tools are thousands of dollars a month. Uh, so the options are limited. It's not not the easiest thing to do, and it's a lot of spray and pray and hope. Uh, and the other thing that you have to realize from the creator side is really that um, hopefully the same way you felt like their content was going to be resonant with your brand, they need to feel the same way about your music. So um, even after you may get in touch with one of these people, you have to hope and and sort of wonder if that music is right for the next project that they're working on. 
Well, and I would imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, because I, you know, I don't work as often with these YouTube creators. But if you're one of these big time YouTube creators that has a whole bunch of, you know, we're talking millions upon millions of subscribers and has a huge fan base, um, I imagine that they're probably getting a lot of requests from you know artists to get their music in the videos, and as well as just get requests for all kinds of different business opportunities. Is it likely that if you're, you know, if you're one of these top shelf, you know, Jenna Marblesy type people, like you're just not going to, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to have the time to respond to a lot of these requests? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and the other part of that is generally the email or contact information that you'll find on any of these aggregators is a business address that they use for logging into different accounts, but don't actually check the emails on. Um, and then a lot of the larger sort of top tier creators, if you will, um, generally have teams that are helping them build their content and edit their videos and do those things that uh, you may never actually even connect with the right content creator in question. All right. So let me lay out where we are so far. So what you and I have seemed to have identified is that this is a, you know, this could be a lucrative area for artists, for both the YouTube creator and the musician to kind of build this relationship, get some of these songs into these YouTube videos. Uh, it could be a win for everybody involved, but we seem to have a lot of obstacles in the way. We talked about the licensing difficulties, you know, you know, having to get a license that's not legally compulsory. So, you know, it, it requires actual negotiation. You have two different copyrights that are in play. Couple all that with the fact that, you know, actually reaching out to these people, getting in touch with them, uh, you know, the, the YouTube artist needing to have to sift through all these different songs that are there to try to find the right one. And, and sometimes it can be hard to, for that artist to find the perfect one and there's no real curation involved. So I'm seeing a lot of obstacles in, in, in the way here to kind of prevent this from happening. And so now we have your company that comes along thematic and you guys seem to say that you have the way to kind of get rid of those problems and to bring the YouTube creators together with the musicians. Can you talk a bit about what your company purports to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you kind of hit the nail on the head, and I wish you were in our original ideation sessions. <laughs> um, we, we've we actually been dealing with the manual side of this for a long time. My partners uh, have been working with uh, Michelle Fon, who's our, our other partner in this company, manually clearing songs for her videos for nearly a decade now. Um, they're the ones that were actually fielding emails from artists saying, please use my music, and sifting and sorting, and then presenting uh, which tracks they thought might make sense based on what they knew of content schedules and calendars, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so they are more than well-versed in sort of the friction, we like to say in technology terms, uh, of the manual labor here. So um, when we all got together as a group, what we were really able to identify is what are those different pain points and processes and how can we productize that uh, and make it easy for the music artists to find the right creators and the right creators to find the right music artists and you even touched on a word uh, that's near and dear to us, which is curation. So uh, what our technology does is when a creator logs into the system, we learn about the types of content that they create, the types of communities they participate with, the keywords and tags that they're using for their videos, the music they've used in the past, et cetera, et cetera. And then the system learns all of that stuff and matches them with the right music artists in our system. So the creator has a sort of Netflix-like experience where they log in, the landing page shows them a bunch of music we think is right for their types of content. And those artists have a much better chance of being placed because of that. Yeah. So you, you guys 
really seem to have tried to come after all the, uh, as you call them, pain points. Man, I really feel like I'm in like a startup pitch session now. I love this. <laughs> Friction and pain points. Uh, yeah. Um, Do things that don't scale. It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so, I mean, since since we are going to kind of keep that startup pitch atmosphere going, I'm going to I'm going to put on my devil's advocate hat here. Um, oh, beat me you, up. You guys aren't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally shark tanking this now. Um, you guys aren't the first company that's out there that is licensing, that is trying to provide like, you know, friction free licensing services. I mean, I mean, we, we've had other ones on this podcast that. You know, create a online clearinghouse where you can license music for a wide variety of different projects. What yep. makes Thematic different? How are you guys trying to distinguish yourself? Uh, it's a great question and one I love answering. So uh, the first way is the curation component. So we're using a ton of machine learning and actually some uh, some human services, I'll call it, <laughs> um, to make sure that the curation is really spot on. And um, the success of that so far has been that about 80% of our artists in the system are getting placements within about a month of being in uh, as an active artist. So we're, we're pretty proud of that. And then the second piece of the whole sort of puzzle here is um, we're sort of flipping the model on its head. We're not charging per song. Um, there's no fee for uh, the amount of uh, audience you have that fluctuates. So if you have a 10,000 fans, it's 20 bucks. If you have 100,000 fans, it's 60 bucks because we think that's just crazy. Um, and it's free for the creator and free for the artist. Oh, very cool. Um, so when when the songs are placed in the YouTube video, um, um, what what sort of compensation is worked out for the artist? Is it is it all just exposure, or are there different structures that are worked out? The comp for the artist is all uh, exposure. So you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, sort of a value for value exchange. But what that looks like for the artist is. Uh, a host of data that they get back. So they're able to see um, they've been placed in these 36 videos. Uh, they're popular in the squishy community in Japan because that's you know where everyone gets popular right now. Um, <laughs> they've got uh, 25,000 uh, men that love them, but the rest are women. And these are, are sort of benchmarks or guideposts that they may not have otherwise known. Uh, and then they're able to actually see all the different videos that they've been placed in and connect with those creators to hopefully continue optimizing that relationship. Well, certainly. And um, the best versions of these kind of relationships that I've seen in my experience for the musicians that have done it are ones where after the fact or even during the video, the YouTube creator and the artist are really collaborating to help kind of get the word out about what's going on. Like they're participating together with social media campaigns and they're reaching out to their networks and they're really turning this collaboration into an event that exists far beyond just the one video they put together. Yeah, you, you've nailed it. I really think uh, the way I like to sort of have the mental model here is um, this is both promotion and an investment. So uh, this is an opportunity to find those relationships, to have those deeper collaborations with and uh, maximize all the potential opportunities that come downstream. So you guys are in sort of a, a beta-esque uh, state of your current company now. And so if artists <laughs> want to take part in this, uh, they, they, ha they sort of have to go through a process with you guys. Can you walk my listeners through how they get onto Thematic if they're interested? Yeah, on the music artist side, uh, you can go to uh, hellothematic.com and submit your music. Uh, we have both a machine-curated A&R process as well as a human A&R process. And really what we're looking for in the machine side of things is 
uh, is this track already owned and operated by some third-party entity that we're going to have a problem with or not? Uh, and then we go through a listening process. So we have a team here that uh, sifts and sorts and listens to the music and has listening parties. And for the tracks that we think make the most sense for our platform, we'll reach back out and approve it and, and pull you guys live. Uh, on the creator side of things is really where the beta label comes in. Um, and we are still curating what creators can come in. And that looks like uh, sort of the old school Gmail model for those of you who are old enough to remember when Gmail was new. Uh, you were basically given a code that allowed you to invite up to three other people to the platform. So the creators that have been uh, able to get in so far have the ability to invite other people based on the amount of content that they've published using our music artists. Um, so it's still a little bit gated and you can get in through different ways uh, and we'll be taking that wall down at the end of the year here. Oh, very, very exciting. Again, the website is www.hellothematic.com. Uh, Chris, this has been a treat. I love talking YouTube. I mean, it is the, it really is the, you know, next real domain for music musicians going forward. I'm always trying to find ways to help artists get to learn that area more. Um, so many artists are just not utilizing that particular platform enough because they think, oh, I'm a musician, so everything I do is audio. But there's so <laughs> much opportunity to be had here, both in licensing uh, you know, in licensing your material to other creators and being a creator in your own right. Uh, the definition right. of what it means to be a musician is changing. And don't feel like you just have to be in the I play music box. A lot of Really great YouTubers are also musicians. A lot of musicians are also really great YouTubers. And find opportunities to be both because there are a lot of great, uh, you know, a lot of great value to, to, have, to be had there. Uh, Chris, before and we let you go, uh, do you have any last tips? Do you mind if I uh, throw a shameless plug for one of our artists in right now that is a artist and YouTube creator since you mentioned that? Oh, get real shameless. Let's do this. <laughs> we, we're working with an artist that we've been having a lot of fun with named Tessa Violet, who uh, grew up in the YouTube ecosystem as Mika Kitty. Um, she's now sort of transcended her YouTube career into being a musician um, and is both a YouTuber and musician now. And we just broke or helped break, I should say. Um, there's plenty of other great people and, and companies involved in helping out uh, her new track, which is called Crush. And she's been a huge proponent of, of helping us build both the music side and the creator side of our ecosystem. I love it. Let's see. I'm going to make a note here. We can put that uh, Tessa Violet, you said? Yeah. Actually, Ryan, you can license the track through a website called Thematic and use it in your podcast. <laughs> now, that, now that's, a, <laughs> that's a shameless plug. That was solid. Um, I'm going to see if I can put that in the show description so people can check her out. Um, yep. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners to help them move their careers forward? Um, being a former indie music artist before a tech geek, uh, not that I wasn't a tech geek at the same time, um, the one thing that I kept saying or, or reminding myself was that if we were focused on where the end might be, uh, we would find it. Um, I'd say keep your head down, keep playing, keep smiling, and keep sweating it out in the van down by the the back of the river or whatever that statement was <laughs> that I just botched. <laughs> um Solid. In a van down by the river. That's what I mean. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Even if you had gotten uh, the reference perfectly right, uh, most of our listeners wouldn't know what it was anyway because we're old. Uh, I'm aging myself. <laughs> Chris Brereton, everybody. Thank you so much for being on this week. Ryan, thanks for having me.